Attention, this is not legal advice. If you are experiencing a legal emergency, contact an attorney or your local public defender's office. The views expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect the views of Gin and Justice. Welcome to another Legal Brief with Jen and Justice. I'm Justine. And I'm Amanda. This week's Legal Brief, we want to talk to you about a couple of criminal justice reform issues, a couple of whatever the opposite of reform is, (laughs) (laughs) a couple of backwards issues, (laughs) and then also we want to talk about some legal concepts that we weren't able to during the last episode regarding appeals and the death penalty. So first, I want to talk about Tennessee. And as you know from our prior second chance legal brief, Governor Lee is actually a pretty good proponent of criminal justice reform. If you recall, he actually had volunteered with a prison Uh, re-entry ministry essentially when he was younger and it really formed a lot of his views to want to give people second chances yes we see you governor lee (laughs) so this week on governor lee's desk there is the alternatives to incarceration and the re-entry success act and these bills expand the eligibility for people to get into diversion programs it attempts to divert people who maybe have mental health or substance abuse issues, and then also um, helps to provide people with second chances when they are released from some type of incarceration. Also, in North Carolina, which you may recall, the governor of North Carolina, Governor Cooper, had signed a proclamation, and they were one of the most recent states to sign on to Second Chance Month, which, as you know, is in April. And he actually... Uh, is a proponent of criminal justice reform in some ways as well. Currently, the North Carolina legislator has filed a couple of bills that they do expect bipartisan support on. Those bills address issues like excessive force, prison conditions. It addresses policing issues, uh, body-worn cameras. It actually seeks to eliminate no-knock warrants, which are essentially, there's a requirement that police officers knock and announce themselves when they are serving a warrant, typically. Sometimes if they get a special warrant, it's called a no-knock warrant. And what that means is the police officers basically say to the judge that by announcing themselves, they're going to be putting themselves in danger. And so there has to be a special finding by the judge that um, announcing themselves would put extra danger. There would be evidence destroyed, something along that nature. We all know what happened to Breonna Taylor. And most recently, Andrew Brown. And so this being filed on the week of the funeral of Andrew Brown really shows that North Carolina is looking to put good policies in place to help put things in the right direction, at least. So with no-knock warrants, uh, it's a special finding by the judge, and they have to authorize it. So I believe North Carolina is seeking to either modify or eliminate no-knock warrants based on these bills. So we will see if those go through. So yay, North Carolina, 
but boo, South Carolina. Oh, no. (laughs) So apparently South Carolina is running low on lethal injection medications. So House lawmakers passed a bill by a vote of 66 to 43 to bring in the firing squad. Oh. All but now four. And yeah, let's give them a shout out. Oklahoma, Mississippi, Utah, South Carolina. What y'all doing? So for our listeners, a firing squad is essentially corrections officers with guns, rifles, and they put a target on the person sentenced to death and they shoot them. It's as crazy as it sounds. Yes. Death by firing squad. Because they can't find the drugs to kill people. Right. I'm just... Right. I'm shook. Yes. So they do expect the governor to sign that, I believe. He's already expressed his Mm -hmm. support for that. So I believe that's on his desk for signing. And after last week's episode, I just can't even fathom how any single person would think that that's okay. But, yeah, you know, I digress. So uh, that brings us into our legal concepts. I want to talk about appeals. So I know a common misconception a lot of my clients have is that You know, you go to trial, and if you lose, you automatically get an appeal. That is not necessarily true. And I'm not speaking about capital cases. I'm talking about regular, you know, misdemeanor, felony, whatever it is. So an appeal is from a trial. Sometimes you can appeal a court order. So if you file a motion to suppress or something like that, and the judge either grants or denies it, and you believe that the judge should have ruled a different way. Either the state or the defense can appeal orders. But an appeal from trial, you don't automatically get it. I mean, you do have a right to an appeal, but you can only appeal what's been preserved at trial. So if you, for instance, have an attorney that does not make any objections throughout the trial, pretty much nothing is going to be preserved for an appeal. So even if there were things that went wrong in the trial, if the attorney did not object and make it known on the record that they object to whatever whatever is happening in the trial that they disagree with, that is not preserved for appeal. So you cannot argue that in an appellate court. And just so everybody knows the levels of court, um, it's a little bit different in New York. New York is kind of backwards. But you have your bottom uh, lowest level court, which is the trial court. Your next level up is going to be your appellate court. The next level court that you can appeal to is the Supreme Court, and it works the same in the federal system and the state system. There's typically three levels of courts. So with the trial court, that's where you're going to have your motions. That's where you're going to have your trial. If you did preserve things on the record, if you did place objections on the record, if evidence came in that maybe shouldn't, if maybe the prosecutor made statements, you know, in the opening or closing that were improper and they weren't allowed to make and you objected, and you preserved that for the record, those are things that you can argue in appeal. So you may have three arguments in your appeal, three separate issues that you're arguing. The appellate court will review for error. And oftentimes, if they find error, they have to determine whether it was harmless error. If it's harmless error, then it does not change the outcome of the case whatsoever. However, if it's not harmless error, if it's reversible error... Sometimes a case can be sent back to the trial court to either retry or perhaps re if it's a if it's on an order they will what's called remand which is send back to the trial court 
And same thing with trial. They'll remand it back for a retrial. Um, sometimes if it can be just on one issue. Uh, but again, if it's harmless error, if the court finds it to be harmless error, which courts can say, okay, yes, there's error, but it was harmless. It did not affect the outcome of the trial. And that's really what they're looking for is did this error potentially affect the entire outcome of the trial? Now, the next level court is the Supreme Court. With the Supreme Court, they decide whether they take a case up. Oftentimes, what you will see them take is when the appeals courts are split. So if you have half the appeals court in the state saying one thing and half of them saying another, oftentimes that is when the Supreme Court will take a case to make a final ruling, apply the law in the way that they think it should, and then all of the appeals courts have to follow what the Supreme Court says. So cases that actually go to the Supreme Court, whether it's federal or State are very rare in in between. So when you have a capital case and somebody is sentenced to death, and just so we kind of heard it in Juan's episode, but the process is you have a trial, you have 12 jurors. If the jurors find you guilty, those same 12 jurors will sit and listen to what's called the penalty phase. And that's basically like a sentencing, but it's in front of the jury. And then based on the Penalty phase, they recommend death or not. States are different on whether they require the full 12 unanimous jurors. Some states just require a simple majority, so 7 out of 12 can recommend death and the person will be sentenced to death. Some states require a unanimous, all 12 of them need to recommend death, So, and you're going to find it depending on the jurisdiction. Once somebody is sentenced to death, they get an automatic appeal. It's called the direct appeal And it's given to everybody who's sentenced to death. Some states it's mandatory. um, Some it's optional. So just, again, kind of depends on the jurisdiction. But that's going to be your initial appeal. And that's where you're going to appeal any trial issues. Um, The defense is going to file their legal briefs. The state's going to file their legal briefs. Again, that appeal is limited to things that have been preserved at trial. If that appeal fails, the next part is the post-conviction. And that's that second part of the appellate process. So the defendant can raise issues surrounding the conviction and sentence that maybe were not preserved in the record. Um, So anything that's outside of the record that should have been brought in. And that's where you can raise issues such as discovery issues, which we know is the evidence in a case, um, ineffective assistance of counsel, if there were violations by the prosecutor or the officers, anything like that that did not come into the actual trial those things can be addressed on the post-conviction appeal, basically. Now, it's important to note that with these, there are very, very strict timelines. So attorneys need to be filing things within a very strict timeline. And if they don't, the court will not take it up. You cannot be a day late. You can't be an hour late. That's how the courts work. Something not to forget, uh, I was actually debating with somebody about the death penalty, and they said... Well, everybody deserves a fair trial as long as everything's put out there and there are no errors in the evidence. Okay, great. You can have a perfect trial, but again, what I think people forget is that the decision is made by 12 humans. And humans are flawed. Human error is the cause of so many things. So um, I just want to put that out there. It's that when, when it comes to a capital trial, you're dealing with 12 humans making a decision based on very complicated legal issues. Sometimes, right. I mean, you're not arguing the law in front of jurors, but they're deciding whether somebody fits the elements of a crime. Right. So 
which sometimes is hard for attorneys to understand. So so if the state post-conviction appeal, which is the second one we just talked about, is denied, at that point, the defendant has exhausted all state remedies. Once they have exhausted all state remedies, they can move to federal court. And they file what's called a federal habeas corpus. Um, and habeas corpus is Latin for bring me the body. So federal habeas corpus, that is the final stage of the appeals process. Um, and again, the federal appeals process consists of three levels again. So you're going to, any court system, you're going to keep seeing these three levels. You're going to have the basic level, then you're going to have the appellate level, and then the supreme level. So the basic level in federal court is U.S. District Court. They are basically like the trial level court. Now, you don't get another trial. That's not how that part works. But it's at this point that if there's new evidence, if there's things that need to come into a trial, that judge in the U.S. District Court in the federal process can overturn the conviction. They can say, hey, this needs a new trial because there's this new evidence. Um, Maybe there's these things that should have come in that didn't come in. If that gets... Whatever ruling on that happens, the next appellate level is the U.S. Court of Appeals and then so on to the Supreme Court. And again, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court takes maybe 2% of cases that get appealed to it, very, very small percentage. If they deny your writ, which is your uh, plea to the court to take their case, basically, the defendant has no more options. Basically, your next option is hoping for clemency from the governor or the uh, the president. That's kind of the appeals process. People think because there's so many levels that it really filters out the errors. But as we know, that's not true because I believe Juan had exhausted all of his appeals. Mm -hmm. So, And he's not the only one. No, he's not. And he was the number 99th. And there's been, I think, 184 death penalty exonerees. So that's just death penalty. And then as Amanda stated on our last episode, there's been 2,774 exonerations. (laughs) So, And we all know that that's an undercount. Right. And that's since 1989. All of this process is what adds to all of the legal fees. Uh, That's why it costs more to have somebody on the death penalty. They have to be housed singularly by themselves in their own cells. So it also costs more. The security of the prison is much higher than, you know, regular maximum security prison. So the death penalty is just stupid. (laughs) That is my personal official opinion. Right, right. It, It just doesn't make sense in the world we live in today. And it's like I was telling the person I was debating with, you know, at this point, in my opinion, (laughs) um, when you have somebody who has committed heinous crimes and you sentence them to life in prison, you then have that opportunity to study that person. You can study their behavior. You can interview them. You can talk. There are doctors who study those things. So if you can find out what makes somebody like Ted Bundy tick, that's something that can be used in the future to maybe prevent crimes like that. So I just don't think putting, first of all, I just don't think it's the government's place to put someone to death, but also when you can learn something from something so heinous, that's a good thing. I would agree. Um, And we should just uh, plug Witness to Innocence one more time because go to their website, witnesstoinnocence.org, and there's so many stories. We just shouldn't be killing people. No, I agree. And, um, We'll see you on the next episode of Gin and Justice. All editing for Gin and Justice done by Gin and Justice Podcast. Artwork by Justin Cardone. Photography by Kimber Schwakey. We'll see you next time on Gin and Justice.